Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Show to View with Mike G, the show of life, the show of Germany, the show of Cleveland, Ohio, Pitbulls. Today's guest is Dennis Gobis, the other half of the handsome duo that owns the Roosevelt Room here in Austin, Texas. This week is Roosevelt Room Week at Show to V. And Dennis and I go way back. I first met him at Drinkwell. He hadn't been in Austin all that long, but we have learned a lot together And even though I cut it from the interview, there's an amazing story of which we're walking through the streets of Oaxaca. We both are imbibed with mezcal. As you've heard in previous episodes, the walkways in Oaxaca, those cobblestones can be a bit treacherous. But Dennis sees a dog on a roof. He takes offense to the dog barking at him and then proceeds to walk into a rebar gate and cracks his sternum. Kind of funny, kind of not. It's hard to say. He didn't even realize till we left. But I think you'll find this is a very revealing story about Dennis. He's been through a lot of different things, been in a lot of different industries, and it's been an amazing journey that led him here to Austin, Texas in the hospitality industry. But let me not interfere any further. I hope you guys enjoy this interview with Dennis Gobis. It was a little Iowa thing. Uh, I had a rough, a really uh, stressful year last year. Uh, I mean, work aside, I had my mother was very. She was sick. Yeah. Yeah, she got very ill. Uh, she's better now, though, right? She's doing better. Uh, she's on medication. She's healing. She had a cardiac arrest. Yeah. Lost a kidney, and her lungs were full of fu- fluid all. At, at the once. same time? At once. When yeah. was when did she actually happen? died in the hospital and they brought her back? Uh, it was in January of last year. No shit. Yeah. And, and she cause she had just visited, was it just before January? December. December, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, she was in town. Yeah, uh, she was. I could tell something was off uh, yeah. when she was in in town. And uh, yeah, so that hit me hard. I mean, but, like, what, what causes that kind of thing was it something genetic was it just lifestyle was uh, she bearing the burden of the world on her shoulders as i mean yeah when we when we moved to the states uh my father bailed and yeah i mean yeah, yeah. she's essentially raised my sister and i with right no education in a new country with no friends and i mean she didn't lead the easiest life sure. uh imagine years and years and years of stress and then uh she got injured at work uh a number of years back in her she has horrible nerve damage in her leg uh-huh. and was it caused from the injury or before that uh caused from the injury yes. oh okay. okay nerve damage in her leg uh and you know the american the american way is just to keep going on right no we'll pump them full of pills oh yeah. so the other american way hydrocodone sorry right yeah. americans don't keep going they just take pills that's right they just take sorry. pills yeah yeah exactly and so that's that is kind of 
So like it, drinking a bottle of whiskey to deal with uh, schizophrenia, right? It's the same kind of process where it doesn't actually solve the problem. Exactly. It? Yeah, it just actually causes more problems. Right. Like completely destroys your kidney function. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, yeah. So I mean, do you know what she was taking? Over the course of five years, the pain got more and more intense. Yeah. Uh, I mean, she was to the point where she was on daily scripts for Oxycontin. Jesus Christ. Uh, like five a day. Five Oxycontin a day? That's what the doctor And he was fine with that? He had no, no problem with just giving her It was, uh, yeah. I mean, it was to the point where growing up, my sister and I, when I was about 18 and she was 14, we yeah. would find my mother's scripts and dump them down the toilet because we knew so how, much. I, we knew how bad it was. Yeah. Uh, so. Did, so do you think that, and, you know, we don't necessarily have to go down this path, but that she had, that, that that was the best way for her to cope with stuff, is taking pills? I don't think it was anything from, because she didn't like the way that it made her feel. Right. She but just she was pain to go it, away, right? She was in great pain. And they gave her two options, take these pills or fuse your bones so she can never bend her ankle again. Jesus. When there was another way, but the insurance wouldn't cover it. Right, so, right. The American medical system. Just, yeah. Which I'm part of again now. I called a few weeks ago, but I got the paperwork yesterday. Oh, yeah. In the mail. So I think I have an insurance card. I don't know what to do with it. So I can finally punch you vigorously, and you'll get coverage if I somehow break something. I probably wouldn't go in. <laughs> you just you just walk into work like, Dennis, what the fuck happened to you? Like, some guy. You should see him. It's good. It, it gives it, her some good stories. It's, uh, it's not uncommon for me to walk into work with some kind of... <laughs> bruise all those pit bulls man they're yeah so big they're so massive they can just, it, just in loving you they hurt you exactly that's i mean maybe that's a symbol maybe that's you you're in justin's relationship just in loving each other it just hurts to love you <laughs> i don't know what that means <laughs> I, I don't know uh but so but your mom's doing well or, yeah. or rather doing better yeah so um, where where's she live is she, she's in she Cle- cleveland Ohio. cleveland right she yeah but she visited when Hell did all did all this stuff happened in cleveland though when she was feeling bad and had it was in january and then yeah. you know that happened about january i want to say let's say call it the ides of january sure january sure. 15th so i don't know what that means but it sounds really pleasant it sounded yeah i think that was in a, a, a <laughs> the rap, ides of march a, a rap song somewhere yes. yeah it was a rap song saint there. ides oh of yes march. Uh, <laughs> yeah speaking of cleveland ohio <laughs> uh <laughs> no yeah that was middle of january and then the 23rd uh, Justin and I closed on the business, mm-hmm. and so I never really had time to emotionally deal with that because right. I had to shut my emotions off and just keep moving forward. Because yeah. I mean, I'm not sure if you and Justin talked about it, but it's going to make a really great memoir. By the time we bought the business and mm-hmm. got in there and opened for business the first day, yeah, we had less than a thousand dollars in our bank account. So it was one of those situations where we're going to you put it all in. Yeah, we put everything we had in, and if we didn't open that day, we were in trouble. <laughs> so yeah. I didn't. I didn't really have time to deal with any emotions and just move forward. Keep yeah. putting your head down and, and do it. Right. I think it. You know, my German Irish way is. When's the last time you were like really ecstatic about something? I don't know. Right. <laughs> sad. I, I wonder because I, I wonder. It's like I've been sad. I, I'm sad. I can recall the last time I was being sad. Yeah. I can recall the last time I was excited about something. That's true. But ecstatic. Over the moon, the top about something. I don't even know what that means. Shit, what? Maybe Hateful Eight, new Tarantino movie. That was like the one of the things that made me really excited. Really? Yeah. Was it that good? It was really good. Yeah. I really, really enjoyed it. So, but we, you know, you and I, I don't know why it's been. We won't dwell on it too much, but I don't know why it's been 
such a wonderful itchy scratchy moment for us to go back and forth and try to get you to fucking sit in here and talk with me why why do you think it might be honestly yeah please well a few reasons yeah i'm really really busy sure literally i have it's hard for me to leave the bar because i understand when i'm not there there's something that can be done and i i see what happens when owners are not there right uh they start screening shitty movies on the screen on the wall that's Whatever. part of it. Fly. You never know what happens. I do. Yeah. Who knows? And like I said in all those text messages, I hate talking about myself. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I. I no, feel, but it's so I, ironic to you, is like to, to think about it, right? So I sh- I'm a guy. I show up at the bar Roosevelt Room, mm-hmm. and I said, "Hey, I would like to order so and so drink off this massive and beautiful menu behind you," and then you're in character immediately. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're exchanging. You're not necessarily opening up, but but you are very personable with people. So what what's the different? Excuse me. What's the difference between being like personable with me in a real sense, but then mm-hmm. not across the bar? I don't think there's any difference. It's just these things in front of our faces. <laughs> if, I put a lapel, if I put a lapel mic on you, it would be a totally different thing. It's fine. Yeah. So it's just the, the 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 mere obstruction of a microphone in front uh, of your I mean, face. God knows what you're gonna do with this. What do you, What do you mean? You're going to sell this? So, oh, yeah, lots of money in it. Lots, lots of money in, in interviews. Especially with, with, with myself me. or with, with Dennis Gobis. Just your voice and sure. my voice. It's a beautiful harmony. Oh, yeah. Incredibly beautiful. <laughs> totally fucking beautiful. But let, let me just put it this way. Yeah. It's really, I, I'm, I feel really, really happy that, that you came mm-hmm. in and that we're getting to talk. Suffice it to say, 2015 was a very trying year in a lot of different ways, financially, emotionally, probably for both of us. Yeah. But 16 looks kind of nice. Yeah. It's a, you know, feels good. Uh, Feels good. Yeah. We took over the business and we had a very, very good first year. Yeah. A lot more comfortable this January than I was last January. Absolutely. Uh, You're not much taller though, it seems. Yeah. I just started buying bigger clothes. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So I'm a little more comfortable. USBG hoodies. I'm no longer uh, a Swedish medium. I'm now... (laughs) I'm I, an American. I'm a Norwegian medium. small now. Norwe- well, I think it that's the same like thing. Pretty small, isn't it? I'm more like a Bavarian medium. Bavar- Bavarian. I have a where, little. Do you know where Bavaria is? Because I'm not really clear on that's it. That's where I was born. Really? Yeah. So that's perfect segue. Oh no! So well, I know I of to... you as a as a German because I know that you have a German pass. Well, yes, you've got a German passport. Yeah. And I've witnessed you getting some guff from customs as we went to Mexico. <laughs> a long time ago, but which we need you, to go back. Yeah, we should. And you were born in Germany proper. Yeah, a little town called Chemnitz. Chemnitz. Yeah. How long uh, were you over there? Till I was twelve. Twelve. Oh, so you lived there a full twelve years. Some prepubescent action, and your sister you said's four years younger than you, mm-hmm. and she obviously lived there mm-hmm. as well. So mom's there, pops there, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. When did he take off? Uh, once we got back to the states. Once you got back to the states. Yeah. So what was the opportunity that drove you guys at, at being 12 years old? Um, so my father was adopted mm-hmm. uh, by a Lithuanian family, and they ended up moving for some reason. I don't know why they moved, but yeah. they they moved to northern Ohio. So. Northern Ohio, really? Yeah, so my father wanted to move to northern Ohio to take care of his adoptive parents. Interesting. Were they kind of uh, succumbing to age and everything yes. at that point? Yeah. So the whole family goes? To, yep. So uh, what what city were you guys in? Uh, just on the east side of Cleveland. Okay, in Cleveland. At yeah, that point. a little town called Mentor, Ohio. 
we don't get the benefit going to American schools to learn other languages. Mm-hmm. And if we do, we're just touch and go with it. We don't really truly have any kind of proficiency. Yeah. So did you have some sense of the English language then? No, I was I spoke very poor English. At the first, yeah, the uh, yeah, the first few years I was in the states, I uh, mm-hmm. had a very rough time in school. And you landed twelve years old. Is what six sixth grade? Yeah. Yeah. And it was kind of, I guess, a mad, a real jolt of culture going from like Germany. So what yeah. was the main difference? I mean, states we don't have a real good, especially. I mean, I come from a very small town. Yeah. Uh, it's one street. Oh, that's it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one street. It's grown now. Yeah. It's gotten much bigger. Going to Cleveland, which is rock and roll fame. God, it's a shithole. Is it? I, okay, I'm sorry. No, no it's, it's okay. I just fine. It's coming back. It's coming back around. Uh, no, sure. You don't have to. I think I. This isn't a sandwich. I've I, learned about this thing called the compliment sandwich, right? Oh yeah. Well, it's uh, like. So that's a real thing. It, it is a fucking. Real I, I've thing. used it on you before. <laughs> you have not used it on me. I don't. I'm, a, I'm impervious to compliment. What the fuck are you talking about? It worked. There's no. Are you sure? You took me to Oaxaca. Damn it. <laughs> fucking work. Case in point. But no. So it, it's okay. I mean, I can't imagine Cleveland at this point because this is when you're 12. So this is the 90s. Yeah. Right. It can't. It can't be that great. It's no, not it's that not great, great now. I mean, Cleveland was. It's coming back now. Sure. I think I. I, I weathered the, the rough years. Uh, endured it. I mean, that's one thing that irks me about being in a city that's alive and thriving yeah. and people complaining about it. I want oh, dude, no people kidding. to do like a six-month stay in Detroit or Cleveland. So Billings, can, Montana. Fucking go, dude. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're sick of buildings going up? Go to a city where buildings are coming down just as quickly. Yeah. And there's no one there. It's not that fun. It's not that good. Yeah. So what kind of stuff were you into? Like, how, how did you adapt? Did you try to make friends? Did you try to... Yeah, I was a... Uh, you know, I've always played music. Yeah. So, uh, you're a drummer, right? I'm a drummer. Yeah. Something it explains like so much about how your mind works, actually. No yeah. drummer jokes there. I just it okay. really does. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, first few years were pretty mellow, and then uh, made a good friend that was also a guitarist, and yeah. that was pretty much it. I just had guys totally w- one good friend. We had a number of different bands together, and yeah. The other friends I made that came and went were through music, some sort of affiliation with the music scene. Yeah. So. Was there a music scene in, in Cleveland at that point? Because tell me, yeah. uh, Frame, what kind of year are we talking? Like uh, We started playing out when I was 16, so okay. that's 2000. Okay. Yeah. yeah I think that sounds weird, that. doesn't it? It does sound weird. It's weird. Oh, that's weird. It's 16 years ago. That's actually quite a while. Yeah, we started playing out. Uh, there was a, I mean, so, though I play different styles. Right. I, most of the bands I was in were punkish, garagey, to even like thrashy metal of an of an aggressive nature. Maybe. Yeah, Did you ever take it to the point where like you wanted that to be your living? Yeah, we toured around a, a bit. Uh, what were you guys called? There's a number of different names, and they were hilarious. What's uh, the least hilarious thing? Well, we were called F5 for a long time. F5. F5. Is it like kind of like a tornado, like thrashy? Tornado oh, F, uh, the Fujita scale with exactly. tornadoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then one of the more interesting names, mm. uh, we were called Cranial Screwtop Method from The Man with Two Brains. Steve Martin. Amazing movie. Amazing band name. It's a, well, it's both. It was a handful it to say, funny. though, or a mouthful, rather. Did ever, everybody just abbreviate it, or did they like say the whole thing? I don't know if anyone 
said her name ever. (laughs) 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 But that band, uh, that iteration, it was essentially every time we subbed in a new lead guitarist. Uh, every show, <laughs> just bring him in. Well, no. Every time we subbed in a new lead guitarist, like every year, year and a half, mm. we'd get a new guitarist. The band name would change. Oh, I see. Because someone would be sour. God, that's like an ex-girlfriend. Like, don't you mention her name? Yeah, exactly. That kind of shit. And then for a while, uh, our last name, where we actually released some records, was Nightmare Mode. Nightmare Mode. Ooh, from Doom. That's a fucking good. The hardest setting. That's a Doom. great setting. It's hard. It's hard. Doom's already hard. That's not to be intellectualized. Yeah. Doom is hard. Yeah, and that was fun. Uh, What's that, can, you, can you frame it for me? And like, Was there something that was really influential for you that maybe you were pushing forward and trying to do? It was, I can't explain. Because I'm just trying to find out. I'm trying to root it in something that I can understand as a very yeah. simpleton kind of guy. I mean, so my favorite bands, all of our favorite bands, myself, uh-huh. our bassist forever, and our lead singer was Rancid. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, yeah. The Police. The Police. <laughs> okay. And an old school British punk band called the Subhumans. The Subhumans, yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Which we played with them a number of times. Are you kidding me? Yeah, really? we played. We played with a bunch of. We had a pretty good run, man. That is not a bad run at all. We got to play with uh, the Misfits. Jesus. A couple times. Yeah. Uh, where Marky Ramon was playing drums and yeah, amazing. Pretty amazing. Uh, doing sound check with Ra- Marky Ramon and uh, he was trying to show me up. On drums, because I had to play his kit because I couldn't set up my kit because his kit was already set up. Right. So he wanted to show me how fast his 4-4 was. <laughs> okay. Uh, and he's just going to town. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I don't know what you want me to say. <laughs> what? Good job. What are you trying to prove, man? And like, then, you and then his, like a and, thing. Yeah, and then his hair fell off. And Oh, did it really? He was bald, and he was, uh-huh. wearing, he was wearing a Ramones wig, which was pretty awesome. Oh, that is kind of awesome. And then I realized the whole thing was a scam. A sham. A sham or a scam. <laughs> Punk, Both? Punk's dead. Punk is dead. Well, fuck, now it's dead. Yeah. Certainly. So you guys did some regionally touring. Did you do any international touring? We did East Coast. We, did, we didn't make it out West. Yeah. yeah. We did like... East Coast is pretty good for that, though. Yeah. If that's a genre Definitely. I'm understanding correctly. Yeah. There was a, a lot of great shows in Philly and yeah. New York and Pittsburgh. It's a good spots. Chicago. For sure. Man, I think of the... The Boston scene was was good during that period. Yeah, Boston was too. a lot more like as far as the punk scene, it was a lot more uh, of the skinhead bands like Dropkick Murphys and oh, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, drinking and then celebrating being Irish and working class. And working class, yeah, absolutely. I feel like someone's gonna punch me right now. They're not gonna. No, we're we're safe now. Just There's wait until n- you get out. Like okay. the, then maybe your neighborhood, neighborhood seems like it. Has. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, it's incredibly incredibly violent neighborhood <laughs> just a bunch of people waiting to pummel you when you get out what is this neighborhood called i don't know exactly do you have a good idea of what it might be called i don't know, I, don't know. I was trying to make a name for it but <laughs> you called a fucking oklahoma you son of a bitch pretty much is oklahoma. it is not oklahoma okay. doesn't take long to get here i'll tell you what being nestled up north having a large house and not having to pay too much for it mm-hmm. and it being newer than anything in central austin yeah there's some perks to that. yeah i got we have, a, we have a we have a yeah we have I a, love your house but yeah we have a nice property we lucked out yeah but the house is tiny it's but. really tiny but that, I mean you get got a good amount of space for other stuff too yeah so if you this want year to, we'll probably tear it down and build another one the whole house yeah we're gonna build two houses on that lot no kidding rent them out or just live in one rent out the other nice the dogs get the other one <laughs> the dogs get the other one because now we have another one <laughs> how many dogs do you have now four dogs Jesus how many are full grown three three. And then the one is kind of a small. I saw some pictures. Well, that the small one is full grown. Uh, oh, okay. But we just started fostering another blue pit bull. Oh, really? 
she's about like five months old. What was it? Your dogs are adorable, man. They're yeah, really nice. They're pretty but good. Is there something that drew you to that that particular breed? Or I grew up with German Shepherds and Rottweilers. Yeah. Uh, if it was up to me, I would get, have Rottweilers. Yeah. They're awesome dogs. In Austin, I mean, Stacy does a lot of volunteering at right. AAC, and I go up there with her a lot. And it's an actually that's... not that much. I've gone up there with her, it, it, and uh, <laughs> it, that becomes one of those conversations. Like, oh, we should take this one home well, and foster I mean, it. Ninety percent of the dogs in the shelter are pit bull, yeah, something mixes, yeah. Uh, and it's just you know it's civic responsibility nice. to give a dog a home rather than get a Rottweiler from a breeder. Right. No, I I totally agree. You know, Kichi downstairs, like she was a. She was an adopted dog, and she was part of a rescue and stuff, and I feel very lucky to have had her, you know. But but you are certainly a dog guy. I've always been a dog guy. Yeah. I hate cats. Cats I like, but they're not as good as dogs. Yeah. And maybe that polarizes everybody listening. I'm just going to, I'll be naive and think that it doesn't, but maybe it does. But dogs are, they're, they're Probably lost a dog. couple friends. Sure. That's fine. I can deal with it. My mom, she's an equal opportunity adopter, though. She's got plenty of cats and plenty of dogs. I don't think she'll be too mad. What do you think? Do you think she'd be upset? I don't know. <laughs> I don't either. Never met your mother. Just give her a compliment sandwich. Yeah, and- just do the compliment <laughs> sandwich. Let's, let's, no, let's work that. No, I'm just kidding. So you doing music and all that, but you, you wrapped up high school, I presume. Even- yep. Did high school. Didn't go to school right away. Uh, you know, Didn't go to college right yeah. away. Did a little bit. It was a very odd uh, dichotomy. I was uh, Where, When you were in Cleveland? Yeah, I was doing music. Yeah. Obviously not making any money. Punk bands don't sure. get paid. But having a good time, I imagine. Too good of a time. Sure. And then I would get back home and uh, right out of, <clears throat> I graduated early in like January. Mm-hmm. And in February, I took like an expedited real estate course. And Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So got my real estate license six weeks out of high school and yeah, started practicing real estate. Uh, yeah. Kind of built a nice little niche market. I was doing distressed properties. Uh, what does lo- that mean exactly? Just loss mitigation for foreclosures. Essentially. Oh, okay. I would, drama pro, drama rama properties where there's some kind of drama in the background yeah, well i mean we had a really good setup until the market crashed uh i would go in and find these families you know as they got served for closure yeah uh before it actually went to auction i would do a closed listing on it i would sell it to one of my investors yeah and we would short sell the property from the bank got it okay then we would do a lease to own back to the family so that if they had children they could stay in the same house yeah stay in the same schools oh, good. and it gave the family like two years to rebuild their credit and uh i mean the investor would make depending on the margins you know a good amount of money and the yeah. family would and the stay family in the, got to stay in the same spot s- stay in the same spot they wouldn't have a foreclosure on their record because yeah. we saved it before foreclosure and then of course like anything uh that ended because of greedy investors Mm. Me being the person with the rapport with the family, when they weren't paying, I was the guy that had to go and inform Play them. hardball and stuff? Yeah. Well, I mean, I wasn't like a mob <laughs> debt collector. <laughs> <laughs> the German mob. The German mob. I don't know how intimidating like, I am uh, yeah. coming to the door. Five, seven. No, because you were fighting the right for the families, it sounds like. You can't be I was trying, yeah. And that's what, uh, ultimately, I put my license in escrow, stopped doing it. I didn't really, you know, this was 18, 19, and 21. Yeah. Uh, or 18, 19, 20, and 21. Uh, 21s when I put it back in escrow. Traditional real estate transactions are conventional. I mean, being the biggest investment in someone's life, right? Not a lot of people trusted a half million dollar house with a 20 year old. Yeah. So once I decided not to work with the distressed properties anymore, I kind of just hung up the hat. What'd you transition to? 
my family uh, owned a construction company. Yeah. So um, and so at this point, like, so you're what? Uh, let's say 21, 22, something yeah, like that. Twenty one, twenty two. Yeah, twenty one. Is it? Had your dad jetted at this point? Oh, or he's waiting. He's long gone. Wait. So like, you guys arrive when you're twelve. Yeah. Did, how soon was he just like out of? Out uh, probably like a year. Oh shit. Okay. Yeah, thirteen. Yeah. 14. I mean, yeah, he was not around very much. You guys still talk at all? No. Is it was it an acrimonious departure, so to speak? Oh, it was. It was an unpleasant departure. I mean, it was yeah. whatever. I haven't seen him since I was eighteen. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I, I feel. I, I know how you feel. Yeah. Then I've never met my father, and. Yeah. You know, you give time for that negative, or rather, the maybe realistic perspective to build. You know, it's like, well, what's the re- what's the point? You know, reconnecting yeah. and stuff. It, so. I really. Yeah. No desire. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we we got here, and then right about when I was eighteen, when I graduated high school, is mm-hmm. when my mother hurt her leg. Oh, that far back. Okay. Yeah. So she was she was she couldn't work for about a year. Okay. And you were still living at home, I guess, at that point. Well, I, eighteen. Uh, well, at eighteen, I bought my first house, and with uh, the money I made from real estate, yeah. and uh, I ended up getting out of that house and moving back with my mother and uh, supporting the family. Yeah. And I lived there till I was twenty-one, and then I moved back out. Okay. So you were doing real estate that whole time. Yeah. And helping pay the bills. Yeah, it's, I mean it's nice. It's a great thing of you to do. I mean, what else? Uh, we don't have. We didn't have a lot of family here, so yeah. I don't know what. But else. you felt like relatively driven to to lead the family as the. I mean, that that's something that's kind of missing with with the eldest boys now, right? Yeah, it's like step up to the plate and take care of the family if something happens. You know? I don't really see any other choice. I know, and that's what if makes you take, it different. I mean, if you take the other route, it says something about character. No, I absolutely agree. But that's sometimes, no, not sometimes, it's a different mindset, and it comes mm. from a different generation. And a lot of kids are just like, meh, teach their, t- t- it's it's all about me, and then they yeah. fend for themselves, you know. So it, do, it does really speak volumes about you. So whether or not you want to take credit for that, whatever, it doesn't even no matter credit. to me frankly but the real estate thing doesn't really fare it's not that it didn't fare well but it didn't take too too well for you and so what did would you do no, it, w- it went really well sure just, well financially uh, but then at yeah. some point someone's I mean, like eh, second thoughts kind of yeah. buys remorse on you because you're so young right yeah I, I just i was not okay with what was happening to those families uh yeah. so yeah i got out of there uh it, it's a crazy story because my father was adopted by a Lithu- lithuanian family yeah uh, moved to Germany, and then move his Lithuanian family moved back to the states, right, right. to Ohio, and then he we moved back. And uh, before my father departed, um, funny story: my father was in a local pub, mm-hmm. and someone came up to him and said "Joe" and tapped him on the back. My father's name is Pete, and, <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, and the guy was like astonished that it wasn't Joe. Uh-huh. This guy Joe. Uh, and he was so astonished that he called this guy Joe, and that guy Joe came to the bar, and they looked at each other, and they looked identical. Holy One shit, are my, you kidding me? My father has black hair, uh-huh. and this is my uncle Joe. Uh, my uncle no Joe, kidding? Yeah, my uncle Joe has blonde hair, and my uncle Joe looked at my dad, and they obviously knew that they were. I mean, all they the just instantly, all knew. the males and all the females in my family look almost the same. And wow. We're kind of like little German Irish clones, sure, uh, stormtroopers. <laughs> uh, but. So then my uncle called my grandfather, also his name is Joe, uh, and my grandfather showed up at the bar uh, unwillingly. He had quit drinking oh, I see. many, yeah. many, many moons ago, and he just broke down in tears because he knew that was his eldest son that my biological grandmother had put up for adoption. No shit. Yeah, 
And it just so happened that when we moved back from Germany, or when we moved from Germany, we moved three miles down the road from my father's biological family. No kidding. Yeah, so... That's insane. Yeah, so... So, so to, to, for, for some personal clarification, so your grandma's the one that... So Pete was your father, but mm-hmm. Joe was... was my older. uncle. He's a younger brother. Younger brother. My father is the eldest. Oh, the eldest, okay. Yeah, so it was the first child, and my grandfather and my grandmother, at that time in their life, couldn't, yeah. couldn't have a... They felt they couldn't support a child. Right, right. So, right. Sure, I understand Yeah. That. But they put him up for adoption. Yep. And then... He moved to Germany. He moved to Germany. And then... From Lithuania? No. No. From the States. Yeah. So from the States back to Germany? And then back to the States. Oh, my God. It's man, very that's, confusing. That's crazy. Yeah. And so... But the, but also his... Joe was also up for... Put up for adoption. No. No. So he's... No, actually, my father was the only child put up for adoption. Oh, my God. Yeah. Crazy. So then we found this biological family three miles down the road. I had a grandfather. Uh, I got to actually learn about... My grandmother at that point was on her... She was very, very ill, and she yeah. had lived. She was living down in Fort Lauderdale. This is my 100% Irish grandmother. Right. right. I actually never met her. She passed uh, right about the time we met uh, my biological grandfather. Wow. But yeah, built a relationship. So after real estate, this all comes full circle because uh, after real estate, I my grandfather has a construction company. Oh. Uh, in, and in, oh, wow. in Northeast Ohio, yeah. and I join on. Just kind of doing a little bit of everything, selling jobs, yeah. maintaining job sites, learning everything, trying to be a sponge just because sure. I thought maybe someday I could be handy. Yeah. When's that going to happen, you think? I just built the entire <laughs> bar. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and you did a lot of work on your house, too, from what I understand. Building yeah. a fence, if I recall, when I first met you, you were building a fence. Oh, yeah. That fence is... Uh, it's a pretty good fence. It's nice. I should yeah. have treated it, but I'm... Well, it's still nice. I ran out of, I ran out of time. <laughs> and we always do. And energy, yeah. So uh, did the construction thing for a while, and uh, then kind of got back half back into real estate, and kind of put the two together. Uh, uh-huh. Worked, kind of flipped a couple houses, bought them, fixed them up myself, and sold them off. Well, you built an amazing toolkit for yourself, yeah. Right. So you're like you you know the the contractual side of it, and then mm-hmm. you go and you start learning the construction side of it. Yeah. I mean that's that's not a bad thing to learn both I mean, sides. You know, that's that's kind of my. That's how you take America by storm. Well, no, I, th- I think that's just kind of my end game. Uh, real estate is hospitality, and the indus- the bar industry is a passion of mine. Yeah, uh, just as much as real estate. Uh, I mean, real estate used the right way, you can make such a difference in sure. how a community operates and how. Community- I'm glad you look at it like that. Have you heard the movie The The Big Short? Yeah, I know. I'm supposed to go. She told me I had. It. I think. Yeah. Yeah, it change your perspective on it. it. It it makes it refreshing to hear that you're fighting for the families instead of someone trying to mask the dog shit, as they say in the big <laughs> short, the dog shit mortgages that are part of. That was a big thing. I mean, when I, right when I left real estate, the firm I was working for, mm-hmm. my broker was indicted. He's in prison. Oh shit! Really? Yeah, I didn't know. What, what, uh, he was part of that whole mortgage ring in the Northeast. Uh, there was a guy up in Rochester, New York, and a guy in a couple guys in New York City, and okay. and a couple guys in Cleveland and Chicago. They all got. We were dealing with, like I said, distressed properties. We had yeah. the exclusive rights to FHA properties, so all FHA loans that were debunked, yeah. we decided what to do with those. No kidding. Yeah. That's crazy. A couple guys in the office were fighting the good fight, and a couple guys in the office were Just trying to make money hand over fist. And they did. Yeah. But Jesus. But mon- then, money's no good when you're in prison. 
No, and money's no good, period, if you're not doing the right things with it. Exactly. So, so what, what else, I mean, and I know you got tied up or you got involved with the restaurant group out there. Yeah, uh, it was actually right about that time, you know. So throughout all this, I guess we got to bring it back. You know, ever since I got to the States and my grandfather, uh, I met my grandfather, mm-hmm. he introduced me to my very first employer who was uh, an Italian guy, mm-hmm. super Italian guy. Uh, <laughs> And my grandfather wasn't Italian, but his his father was mm-hmm. a cabinet maker and had a job in Sicily. Uh, so my grandfather grew up in Sicily. So he's like wow. a German guy, German-French. I don't know what. He's like mostly German. Yeah. But he grew up in Sicily, so he thought he was Italian. Of course. So, so he didn't. He, he never made me a space, so he made me marinara. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you ever so miss out on that? You're, you're I, like, God I, damn it, I just want this pretzel. I, my mom fulfilled that. Okay, need. good. Yeah. Good, good. Uh, so, so yeah, my first you to some. this Italian probably I, I imagine he was in a mob. You think so? Of some sort, yeah. yeah. Uh, and yeah, my first job was in the kitchen there. Uh, Would you? What were you doing in the kitchen? I mean, I was fourteen and a half, so obviously the dish pit. Sure, sure. got to start somewhere. <laughs> yeah, you know, with the the line cooks that throw the hot pan and then say hot three seconds later mm-hmm. <laughs> after you touch it. After you touch it, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then I moved up to the line. Uh, so there was this underlying thing. So it's all going parallel th- course. Yeah, as you're doing all this other kind of like all academic this, stuff. Yeah, I, throughout going to real estate school, even when I was doing real estate, I still maintained a job as a barback. And then when uh, the whole market crashed, what was it, two thousand seven? Seven or eight? Yeah. Uh, I mean, at that point, I was twenty three. Yeah. yeah. I I had been bartending like off and on, mm-hmm. but not very seriously the f- first two years. Right. I was able to, and then once the market crashed, my mortgage broker actually was like, "You know, I'm getting really serious about bartending, and I'm making more money than I was oh, selling kidding. mortgages." So I joined on with this group mm-hmm. and uh, Cleveland Restaurant Group. Uh, what was the first gig you had with them? Uh, it was a spot called Steakhouse uh-huh. Craft Beer Spot. Right. Uh, Thirty drafts and. We had like a 24-ounce, 45-day dry-aged ribeye. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was a nice spot. It was a very weird spot. It was, you know, $50 cuts of meat, and then at 9 o'clock for some reason, because we were in a small town, sure, sure. Uh, all the tables and chairs got cleared out, and it turned into a dance club. That is it, so strange. But it worked. I never yeah. understood how it worked. But the, It wouldn't work anywhere else. The restaurant like... was bringing in like twenty dollars to $30,000 on a Friday night. Really? I'm like, I don't... Like that whole middle ground where you're still eating your steak and you see the DJ setting up. <laughs> yeah. I never understood why you would ever come back to or that why, place. Yeah, or, like why that would be a good experience yeah. for you. But I, that, the restaurant group was a good experience. They owned, I think, 36 restaurants, wow. bars, breweries when I was there. And uh, Did you ever get like, tossed into a more cocktail-centric role with them? Uh, we had cocktail programs and uh, they were never that extensive. No. Cleveland wasn't really ready for that. A lot of Especially, places weren't at yeah. that point, too. You know. uh, honestly, my focus there was beer. Yeah. Uh, we had a brewery uh, across the street from this steakhouse. And, oh, cool. Uh, I would work some really nice shifts behind the bar and yeah. make enough money to survive, and then I would get up at 6 in the morning and go make beer for $8 an hour just because... You wanted to learn? I, I loved it. Yeah. Well, I had been brewing since I was 18, you know, home brewing, yeah. and, yeah. Uh, and there was a, a big changeover at the brewery, and it kind of left one guy to kind of he had a 15 barrel setup and god damn and no guy for that yeah so you know uh so how long did that last at that in 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 that particular era of your life how long were you in cleveland more or less doing the cocktail or rather the the food beer stuff i was there for five years doing that 
doing that stuff. Yeah. But it's something brought you to Austin, obviously. So yeah. I know yeah. that that was your next step, and maybe some other people don't. But there had to have been something. Was it love that brought you to Austin? Was oh, it? Look at that setup. <laughs> Just served softball served cold, style. Yes, under underhand pitch. Underhand. Well, yes, it was. Uh, yeah, I chased a girl, and <laughs> yeah, it worked out very well. Was was Stacy here first? Yeah, like, she, uh, she yeah. Was, so right? Stacy and I, uh, Stacy doesn't remember, but we met seven years before we actually. Oh no, kidding! Started. Well, but she, uh, we, uh, she remembers other times meeting, but right. I, re- I remember distinctively seven years before that meeting her at the local mall because that's what teenagers do. Were you getting sabaros? I love sabaros. I no, I was <laughs> kidding. I was probably eating Taco Bell in, in the mall. There was a Taco pretty Bell. classy. I mean, but you saw. Look at did me. You, like, w- w- did you guys run? Have similar friends? Like, what? Was yeah, that I like? mean, well. It, it's the east side of Cleveland. There's that's fair. G- given, in full disclosure, I have no idea how how small of a town that is. Does I everybody know. know everybody? Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so you'd seen this girl. Yeah. You saw her, and you kind of like, okay, well that works for me. Well, yeah. I mean, more yes. or less. Right? Yes. And then years. <laughs> as you in, think, as you think about who was I dating at the time that I didn't want to tell that I saw. Well, no, no. I mean, it it was always the case where uh, the girls I was dating, anytime Stacy would come in the room, mm. they'd be like. You're gonna leave me for her, and I'm like, "Am I that obvious?" <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, you know, it was just one of those things for years and years and years. Whenever I was single, she had a boyfriend. Whenever she was single, God, it always, always, right? And then it just, uh, honestly, it's weird how the world works because uh, she had decided uh, her father lives in Cleveland, her mother lives here. Mm. Uh, she decided to make a big move, uh, and yeah, she told you, me she, I had a. A party at my house, uh, I think it was like a week and a half before she was leaving. Mm-hmm. And she told me that she was leaving that night. And I kind of shut down and I didn't talk to her for a few hours. Yeah. And then... Uh, were, I mean, were you upset to hear? Obviously. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, you know, the as the story goes, yeah, I eventually told her why I was upset. And she told me she felt the same way. And then we spent... Do you guys both like, both like the Cleveland Indians? That yeah, that was the thing. Yeah, we re- we really missed Jose Mesa. We were re- <laughs> we we're still pissed about the 1997 uh, World Series Game like, Seven. Who the fuck are the Browns? Why is there even a team? So, but obviously take you guys back. profess some kind of yeah. emotion. Yeah, uh, and some then profess something, and she's what? What was she going to come to Austin for? Just to get the hell to out, get out of Cleveland. Out of, yeah. I mean, we when you're in Cleveland, you either decide you give up. Yeah. <laughs> you tried to get out <laughs> and she tried to get out yeah. uh so we spent every day uh up until the day she left how long uh, was that it's a couple weeks or no it, we had like eight days oh jeez. yeah and then she left uh and then we did long distance uh this was she left a few days before her birthday mm-hmm. in february i came down here for south by southwest that year yeah uh and then i was in a great position with my job uh so I, like there's not a lot of motivation to leave except for the fact your heart is in two over this girl that's in Austin. Wait, not a lot of reason to leave Cleveland? Well, yeah. Well, no, no, no. There's so, a I mean, ton it's, of it's, reasons to leave Cleveland. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> you have a good gig, so it's like your, oh, yeah. your, no, I was, your career is going well, yeah. but then your emotional and your romantic life yeah. is just fucking in the pits because Stacy moved. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it was a blessing and a curse to do yeah. our first 10 months long distance. Yeah, uh, long builds, a lot of, builds a lot of trust, especially in those infancy stages of a relationship builds a really great foundation but i was able to take essentially one week out of every month and come down here so i spent that's not bad i spent three weeks in cleveland one week here yeah that was 2011 okay yeah 2011 and it was also great because i'm kind of a hermit 
Are you? Uh, I'm very reclusive. And uh, that's why you don't return text messages. It all makes sense now, Dennis. It all makes perfect you sense. You didn't realize that I'm a recluse? <laughs> I think everyone knows I'm a recluse. Recluse, yeah. Maybe so. Maybe I just... I, I get this. I, I, I get, was in denial as to your. I get this look nature. when I go out in public that people are like, "Oh, really? You're here? <laughs> You're still alive? Really? Oh, okay. I just thought they kept posting thrillist articles about you. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck do you do at home? Are you sitting there writing? Or are you petting? I'm the not dog? at home. I'm at the bar. I'm reclusive oh, in my bar. Reclusive, but that's hard because it's out in the public eye, kind of. Unless you're back to doing the books. I'm typically behind the scenes, though, man. I'm, yeah. I, I don't bars in nearly as much as I'd like to anymore. Yeah. But anyways, uh, yeah, so... So she's here. She's here. I'm back in Cleveland. I spent the entire year of 2011 getting very fit. I, oh. I did not drink. I did mm. not eat red meat. I did not drink coffee for an entire year. God, that's really against everything Germans stand for. Yeah, it was hard. My family didn't understand me. <laughs> they don't... No, you no one no in Cleveland really understands. Under, there's no one in Cleveland doing that. Yeah. Uh, You're so ahead of the time. Trendsetting. Trendsetting, Is that what yeah. a hipster is? Yes. See? Take it back. <laughs> That's what... A, hipsters don't eat red meat, and they don't drink, and they work out. Shit, I do some red hipsters meat. hipsters work out? I, I don't still know. don't know what a hipster is. Yeah, I don't know. I thought I knew for a second. Maybe but we'll have some clarity by the end of this conversation, but I'm not really sure if we will. I hate that we're talking about that word. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> no, yeah, so we did a year-long distance. I became very healthy both sure. physically and ment- mentally yeah. and it took a lot of courage you know i tried to leave cleveland a number of times moving mm-hmm. to other spots around and it just never worked right always uh you know it's easy to go just go back home yeah absolutely. Uh, and then it i finally found the strength to move across the country yeah chase this girl and see what, moved here with no clue what i was gonna no do prospects I, I think i took the first like four months i was here and just laid around she got really sick of me really quickly i had no job <laughs> It was just it's so sick I moved, that she's still with you. I fact. moved into her apartment. She's oh, just man. she just comes home. I set my drum set up in like the oh, living room. Oh god. She's like, "Oh, okay. That's how it is, right?" Oh man, it sounds horrible. Her dog at the time still really didn't know how he felt because he thought he was her girlfriend. So Oh, I see. There's a lot of What kind of dog was it? He was a uh small or a big dog? He was a Sharpay uh pitbull mix. Oh, okay. Okay. He was a really cool looking dog. Yeah. But yeah, uh now I'm here. So you did it. You stayed there. Did you think that that was the best? Was there another industry that you ever wanted to pursue? Or like, no, I think I really do want to do hospitality stuff in Austin. I, yeah, I mean, I was hooked. I mean, you know, I, in this time where I was, you know, help, helping the family with the construction business and right. working hospitality, I did go back to school. And I... What were you studying? I was pre-med. Pre-med? Yeah. Jesus, really? Yeah. How far did you get along that path? I have like two credits left to get my degree are you kidding <laughs> i'm like right at the end of my degree jesus christ yeah. really are yeah. you gonna do it uh, sometime i don't seems know seems like the wrong time frankly right now but yeah i, it, I don't know what it does for me at the moment yeah i, I, I work know. for myself I, I yeah can, you're working I, for yourself i can good credibility put it like all i don't know about good credibility well moderately okay credibility. <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah just i guess the piece of paper would look cool. So what was that first gig then when you were in Austin? Wow, where did I first start? You know, I helped I helped to open out. up Easy Tiger. I was really oh, really I was really excited about Easy Tiger. I didn't know that. Being a German guy, yeah. uh, being a Cicerone. I was really excited about the craft beer program there. Yeah. Any like any new restaurant opening, it had its turbulence sure. in its of early course. stages. And I, I was not in need of money. Uh no, you did all right with real estate, I'm sure. Yeah, I was not in need of money when I moved here, so you're taking jobs based on what you really feel like you should do. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Uh, when you decided when you, against that. 
Uh, at Easy Tiger. Yeah, yeah I had no idea you worked over there. And then I landed over at Peche uh, yeah. because of a guy named John Roach. John Roach. What's John do? I John, don't know John. John was uh, he was the assistant manager under Dwayne. Oh, okay. Uh, and then he went on to he's been running Dive Bar. He just oh, no stepped down. Yeah. Cool. But John is the epitome of great hospitality. Just yeah. wat- watching him work the bar was inspiring. Yeah. So uh, spent some time over there. And How then, was that experience working? A lot. Of, I've had a few people on the show that worked Rob, with Rob before. Was it a stimulating experience, as many others have claimed? I'm gonna <laughs> just be be diplomatic about it. This is a good oh, opportunity. Obviously, for you to be I'm gonna be. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna be diplomatic. Uh, no, Rob is a particular <laughs> man, and he has a great bar. <laughs> he has some great. Did you, did he has you some learn great... a lot? Was that a good experience for you to expand your mind? I learned a lot from having. That was the most bottles I've ever had behind me. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, at any of the restaurants or bars that I helped out with, with uh, Cleveland Restaurant Group. Right. I mean, Ohio is a very odd kind of control state where you can't get very much. Uh, you can't get very... Oh, just in that the state kind of moderates everything, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, it was an amazing learning experience. Yeah. Uh, Did It seems like you hadn't yet had that... What's the word? The, the moment where everything comes together, where you were enlightened by cocktails specifically, because it seems like very beer centric, easy tiger with the cicerone thing, you know. I think they're all the same thing, man. Do you? It's a balanced. I don't. I it's don't, a balanced I don't beverage. It, it. You're right. There is. I mean, what's conceptually di- like? Maybe on paper, it's a matter of balancing flavors in a in a some kind of liquid matrix, if you will. Yeah. But cocktails, and to me, are in no way the same thing as beer. Or a wine because you're adding something to a base spirit. You could take a mezcal, compare it to a wine. I think that's fair. But cocktails just—it's an additive process. What is a base malt and then a number of different yeasts and a number of different hops? No, I know it's—it is like a yeasty cocktail. I get, you know. No, I'm, I'm just saying. saying I, I'm just saying a beer is—I mean, three parts this, two parts this, one right. part this. You have to do it with a certain technique, and right. you have to do it consistently the same way. That's I mean, fair. That's and you're delivering a, a product that is balanced and can be replicated. And yeah. is, I mean, but that's it's interesting you say that because on a production level, you're totally right. Like even yeah. even in bourbons, the same way. Yeah. But when it comes down to when the item is delivered to somebody, mm-hmm. that that's not as clear. That message of what the mash bill oh, was, yeah. or what you know, like that's only on the academic kind of back end of it. Or it is like a cocktail in the, in, in the sense like this much poundage of ma- of wheat or whatever kind yeah. of grain, water, yeast, mm. all that secondary yeast, yeah. adding fermentation. So so I I get that, but do you, do you kind of see where I'm coming from? Where cocktails again are a little bit more additive. It's taking the vision of somebody in in mm. its full form already, and then adding upon that, and sometimes really screwing it up. It is, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a science nerd, you know. Yeah. Uh, so there was always the the nerd in me that, you know, even when I was making cocktails when they were limited, when they were mm. Manhattans and something uh, like with you know, simple, fewer ingredients, simple right? sours and and such. Back in Cleveland, I mean, I was still very conscious of technique and how I was making the drink. Yeah, and was that was able? there any takeaways from Pesha? I guess because I'm saying such a massive bar back there. I can't imagine there wasn't some kind of the takeaway nugget I, of knowledge. You know, there there were some things. I'm going to say 90% of technique that was taught or was learned there, right. I have since disregarded. Gotcha. I think 
You know, the real tipping point is when I started traveling a good amount and mm-hmm. got to see bars around the country and got to see the passion of people in some other metropolises that right, are right. so driven on technique and consistency. I mean, we all know I can give you every recipe. What's your favorite? What's one of your favorite places you went to that you really learned favorite a lot from? Favorite bar. Yeah. That's a tall No, it's tall fucking order. loaded as shit. Yeah. But just get like you think top five then for Okay. Uh top five. Uh Dead Rabbit. Yeah. I knew you were gonna say it. Yeah. Well, put money Dead Rabbit, uh Drink in Boston. Uh huh. Drink's great. Attaboy. Where's Attaboy? Attaboy's the original milk and honey location. Oh, okay. And so okay. around there. Yeah. Uh uh Little Branch. Mm. And then I'm gonna say uh Anvil. Yeah. Anvil. It's good. Yeah. Good spots. I mean, there's all the, the, the meccas of cocktail culture where lots of things happened similar to the music scenes yeah. of the 80s and the 70s and all of that. Yeah. But all this stuff kind of it bubbles up. Does it encourage you, all this extra knowledge, does it encourage you to leave Peche because you're not getting what you need out of it from a learning No, I got experience? fired. You got fired. <laughs> <laughs> what did you, you do? What'd I, th- I left a fan out. Uh, I left a fan that was drying the floor out and that day Rob, that was it that day rob felt like the fan shouldn't have been left out <laughs> jesus christ where did you go is that when you did you go to drink hole after that yeah again you know i was just dipping my toe in the water in sure. the in the hospital well, and then trying to dry it with a fan that got you fired exactly apparently. uh <laughs> dipping my toe in the water here in austin <laughs> and my first two uh, encounters were uh mixed experiences sure uh and then yeah tacy tacy roland uh yeah. w- would frequent pesche and she'd always sit in front of my well we became friends, and she said she had an opening, and went in and met Mike and Jessica, and that was it. There you go. Yeah. And I think it's fair to say, and correct me if I'm wrong, that that was the best stage for you in Austin thus far previous to Roosevelt Room, and that you had a lot of notoriety. You had a lot of people that came back to see you, including mm-hmm. myself. You built a good reputation for yourself, and thusly, it kind of just totally cemented into the apex for many people, but being... In 2014, I think, written as the claim to the best bartender in Austin by know. the Austin Chronicle. Is that right? Four, was it 14? Something like that. I don't oh, remember. Okay. You don't even give a shit, do you? I, that, okay, so all the awards and lists. Yeah. Everyone says, I don't care about the lists. No. I'm, uh, well, it, do, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. You do care about the list because, like we talked about earlier, people read the lists. They do. When they're getting off work downtown right. at 5 p.m. and they're like, I'm going to go get a cocktail, they pull up Thrillist. I want to go to the list guy. Yeah, the list stuff. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the lists, for the most part, some of them carry a lot of weight. Some of them, they don't really like... They don't sustain get me, business. They right. don't get me excited. That's right. uh, that one was... I appreciated that a lot because... Well, I mean, in less than one That one was... Uh, that was a reader's poll. Yeah. So it's pretty brilliant. Th- that means a lot. So, I mean, that was... That wasn't... An editor that yeah. was people voting. Sure. Who they liked the most. Random people that saw you somewhere At had Tranquil. talked to you, Tranquil most likely. Yeah. And they cared. They really, they got the message that you're putting out with your drinks. That's kind of, I mean, it's somewhat flattering, I would imagine. Yeah. I don't know if I was putting out a message with my drinks. I well, think I was just do, trying. You do subconsciously whether you like to or not. Because a drink, whether it's a song, whether it's a drink, whether it's a book, whatever, yeah. your, your creation and you assembling these things based on your inadequacies that are inside subconscious, all of these things that are bubbling up. But I don't Give that, someone a drink. I mean, that's you. I don't think the drink isn't the culmination. I mean, that isn't, that, so? that isn't everything. The no, drink, I, I, the, I'm not the, saying it's everything. The, the drink is just the, 
the piece of glassware with some liquid in it. I mean, I don't know. I was given. Uh, I think the difference was at Drinkwell. What we were doing is we had such a spectacular staff that we were giving people experiences. We were yeah. giving people. Yes, they were on the glass. They were yeah. They were drinking a drink. They were probably having some potato chips mm-hmm. or whatever they were sure. having. But they were having an evening with people they cared about in yeah. a comfortable space, right. and it was consistent. And I mean, it was the, the whole thing: the aesthetic, sitting down in that chair, yeah. the staff, the whole the whole entire yeah. thing. I mean, if we couldn't make good drinks, we're in the wrong business. I would, uh, you know, you think it's just you have to be able to do that. If you can't make a balanced drink, you shouldn't be a bartender, right? Uh, being a bartender is about tending the bar. Yeah. Is the area where they're sitting clean? Is the music at the right level? Is there a light bulb out? Right. Is there dust around the exhaust fan? Is the person behind them leaning on the back of their chair and making them uncomfortable? Yeah. You need to be able to feel all of that. You yeah, know? you're so you're so German. It's wow. <laughs> how, how is that German? Because it's so tactical. It's huh. not it's not strategic necessarily. Or it's not creative as much. And that it's not even it's not even yeah. a conchique on you, but it's like there is something about a drink that gets you all real far, right? So if the drink's bad and service is good and the ambiance is good, you're still okay with it. But there's something about if the drink was amazing and the ambiance was bad, that actually does, in my my opinion, resound really loudly. I don't know. I, I had the comp- So with the steakhouse, yeah. right, back in Cleveland, I feel like the biggest lesson I learned there was... Uh, so I did every single job in that place. Right, Host, right. floor manage... Bar manage, everything. I served mm-hmm. frequently when these people were buying forty-five dollar cuts of meat. Mm-hmm. It would be cooked to the wrong temperature, mm. and when you're buying a cut of meat that expensive, it's a little bit irritating when it comes out to the wrong temperature. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't frequent, but it would happen, right? And uh, these are things that when I'm going out for a steak and the steak is bad, you would think you're having a bad night. Right. But what I learned is that those were my. I built the most rapport with those customers. They would come back to see me more than the people that had a great steak right. because I was able to... Wine and dine them. F- and I wasn't giving anything away. It no, was of just, course not. It was just being an ear for them to talk to right. and trying to do the most to correct their evening, correct their experience. Yeah, understood. Uh, so I, so I don't... I, I don't. soft skills, the actual hospitality skills of it. Yeah, I don't think it, uh, you live and die by what's in the glass. I mean, like I said, we should all be able to make balanced sours and you know, right. Negroni derivations at this point. it's a good it's a good good point i i just love that everybody's got a different perspective on it you know the one thing is i mean so we all should know the recipe right sure and then what we're really focusing on at roosevelt room is 100 percent technique yeah uh i mean we have a very 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 strict order of operations in Mm -hmm. building around 29 steps where is your hand at what moment why is it there right it's kind of spun off of the sasha order of operations Kind of takes a little bit of Dead Rabbit's order of ops and a little bit of Sasha's and then some things that we just said, you know what, we think this way is better. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, every single time you're going to get a drink at Roosevelt Room, every single bartender is going to grab the same bottle at the same time for right, right. a very specific reason. And it, it's all based on durability mm. of the drink when it gets to the table. Uh, we want the liveliest drink when it gets to the table. Right. So, so to go back for a second, so... yeah. You, because I absolutely want to talk about Roosevelt Room. I've had amazing, I've had amazing times there. You think you guys are doing a wonderful job there aesthetically and obviously with the flavors as well. But so what, you were a bar manager or a GM for Drinkwell. Even even the classification doesn't make yeah. a, lot of, a lot of difference, right? But in, in a nutshell, what happened to 
force you to transition on? Because that seemed like that was the gig. That was the band in which you gained the most notoriety as mm-hmm. a player. You got the best bartender, People's Choice Award, 2014, Oscar Chronicle, all that bullshit. Mm-hmm. Right? So it seems like at least up to that point, professionally, from a cocktail and a hospitality perspective, mm-hmm. that was the apex of your career up to that point. Yeah, that I, that was the top. That was. It's all downhill from here. Well, that's... <laughs> no, uh, no, I'm saying up no, to that point it was. Yeah, yeah. No, it really just came down to I was always going to work for myself. Yeah. Uh, with that, I always needed to be moving forward right. uh, and growing. And it's something that I think in our industry we sometimes forget about is that as managers and owners, mm-hmm. our bar staff, we can put the best bar staff together, but that's this is maybe a year or two of their lives or... Five years, if it's wonderful, you know. But right, right. this is a, a stepping stone for them to... Flash in the pan. Yeah, for them to achieve their goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the really, really great restaurant groups out there work together to help those people achieve those goals and diversify right. what the brand does. We just came, I just came to a point where uh, I felt that I needed to move on and uh, just learn a little bit more. Uh, yeah. It was... I had every Was it a contentious kind of departure? From my understanding, it was a little bit, a little bit contentious. I just, you know, I never meant for it to be. Uh, I was there were uh, the timing probably wasn't right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was I was going to Bar Five Day right. in, in New York, and the timing was poor. Lining yeah. up with some other stuff. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. The release of a menu. Yeah. Uh, which I felt my staff was capable of launching a menu sure. on a Tuesday. Um, and yeah, uh, it just it, didn't work out. Yeah, it didn't work out. Uh, there were feelings, probably. Yeah. Feelings have passed. Are you guys good now? I feel like we're good. I'm good. I wish well, them. You're good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm. I'm great. I. I, I think they're good. Uh. Yeah. I think, I think so. I don't know. I think Never we're fine. It. We talk. Yeah. It's good. That's that's the, the biggest talk. indication is that you guys. Still they're talk. crushing it. Yeah. They're gonna open oh, up a backbeat. Too. Backbeat is gonna absolutely destroy South Lamar. It's gonna kill it. Get yeah. some ramen and get drunk. I mean, there's no better combination. Jump off the balcony. <laughs> I don't know. Into a dumpster. No, I don't Into know. Into a dumpster. Golden God, be a golden God like they are. And, uh, you know. Is there a swimming pool? <laughs> there could be a What swimming. is that from? That's from uh, Almost Famous. I just watched that. That's a great movie. Yeah. It's totally a great movie. Uh, yeah. I well, know. so, okay. So, let's take... So, so there was the choice of growing with the company or growing on my own. Right. And it just so happened that at that time, I had to grow on my own. I understand uh, that. Makes total sense. And it, there was a, another opportunity in the works that... With the Have G- you mentioned it? Yeah, with Juniper, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that wasn't really solidified until I had already left. Got it. And then that, in turn, got pushed back many, many, many yeah. times. Yeah, I heard it got delayed quite a bit. About a year. <laughs> yeah. Quite a bit, yeah. <laughs> you know, so. four, four quarters, so just as, you, as it were. Yeah. So, well, let's take a moment then. We regale ourselves again from a wonderful trip in Oaxaca. And the bottle that you've picked out here, even though you haven't had a sip, you said in about a month, is a Tepec Estate from Ray Campiero. William Scanlon Third, a wonderful gentleman bringing this in from Oaxaca. He's a great dude. I think this is two times copper distilled. This is one of the older varietals of agave. This thing can live to 25, 27 years old. A lovely, loving mezcal. This is only available in California. I'm going to check the proof on it real quick. I think this is my second favorite varietal. One of right the behind Papalome. Yeah. Papalome. Oh, really? So well, for, this is for so this is forty eight percent ABV. Why? I like Papalome. Funky. 
the funky, the Cupriata funk. I like that Cupriata funk. Man, it's that it, blue cheesy. Yeah. Have you had the the Siembra metal that that Cupriata? Yeah. 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 Much different expression of it. Not as funky and no, cheesy. Not as funky as cheesy. And you know where that cheese and funk comes from? As I bet works? you're gonna tell me. As a matter of fact, <laughs> so I am gonna No, so if you and and Francisco Terrazas was in the other night, who's now working for Vago, and we we're talking about ferments and this kind of stuff, and then we're going to diverge here in this kind of nerdy tangent for a moment. But the ferment, the longer you let, so let's say you go cook your pinas, right? Mm-hmm. You cook these cupriata pinas, and you leave them out because you haven't had a chance to process them yet. Because often cooking and processing doesn't happen just in in yeah. procession like that. So if you leave them out because of those sugars, lots of things, lots of yeasties, like lots of little beasties, wild things gets in there, and they'll start kind of funkifying it. Mm-hmm. Whether that's a fungus, bacteria, I'm not exactly sure what you think it is. But at that point, your raw material starts to take on a little bit of funk with some extra extraneous bacteria that come into it. And thus you shred it up, you ferment it, those guys are introduced into the ferment. So Exciting. with the particular one, I find the funkiest, which is probably the Delmagay, which is the funkiest of the the, the Papalome, yep. Papalamento, whatever, that, yeah, cheese. That's where that cheese comes from. That cheese, roast yeah. beef cheesiness. Mushrooms. Yeah, the mushrooms. But you, you're into that particular umami. I love kind of, it. Yeah. Yeah. What, and then, yeah. It's it's really interesting. But this is kind of contrasting, this Tepecstate. It's really nice and no, this one, sweet. Well, and, yeah, now we're on Tepecstate. Yeah, Papalome. sorry. No, I'm yeah. beginning to, I'm, we're just going to have to shoot one from one to the other you're just going to follow me a lot more bright a lot more floral yeah definitely what do you think about it this being one of the first sips perhaps you've had in a month or so it's i mean it doesn't disappoint it does not disappoint (laughs) (laughs) but i could have what could i have handed you uh some shit some rot gut vodka would that still be good probably not (laughs) probably not no uh, it's delicious it I is. Mean, it's a really all of the Ray Comparo stuff is amazing, and this is an exceptional varietal, but also an exceptional release from them. Yeah, which I'm just really, really, really upset that, in a sad way, not in a mad way, that they didn't release this one in Texas. It's really wonderful. How'd you come about it? Don't don't know. Just showed up. Just showed up. Amazon Prime. <laughs> Amazon Prime, baby. I saw the drone landing pad in your front yeah, yard. Yeah, for sure. I want to make it easy. To get all the stuff from the drones, you know, whether it is a bag of Ziploc bags. Have you heard about uh, NASA's uh, drone highway no. that they're proposing? Yeah. What is it? What's that about? Uh, so airspace under 400 feet in the next 10 years, they're working to have a dedicated drone highway. No shit. Yeah. Huh. Tis the future. Well, I'm not looking forward to the future. I'm kind of stuck in my ways. What's that mean? That I just... I'm, you don't like I, things to fly? Yeah, I hate flying. Flight's terrible. Really? Leave it to the birds. Seriously. So we're not going to Oaxaca. <laughs> well, no. well, no. We got to hitchhike. See, exactly. Flight is beautiful <laughs> when you land in Oaxaca. It's a necessary thing. It Flight is. is a necessary thing. So coming off of the the win in 2014, transitioning out of drink was the GM or the bar manager. Yeah. Whichever that that position officially was. Yeah. What was that space of time between that and the Roosevelt room? Uh, that was me being unemployed. Sure, and but, uh, how about racking up a massive amount of credit card debt, dude. I understand. Uh, really yeah, uh, that was so. I left in September. Mm-hmm. Uh, I left two weeks before I left for Bar Five bar Day. Five, yeah, yeah. And Bar Five was the last week of September. And then I got back. Uh, I went when I got back. Wait, 
We went to Oaxaca in October then. November. See, can't even remember. Too, <laughs> too much mezcal. I don't know what I did in October. Probably yeah. laid around the house and played yeah, drums. Yeah, I, re- I recall you you mentioned laying around. Probably played a lot of drums. I hope so. Uh, and then actually got to read books, which I haven't been able to do. Books? What's... You know, I I take that back. After Bar 5 Day, I did not read anything for a month. Probably uh, yeah, it, waterlogged in the main. Trying the to get... Uh, sensation back into my tongue after blind tasting all those spirits <laughs> right right uh and yeah hung out we went to oaxaca yeah i was working on the, the juniper project uh right. kind of it was a really awesome experience uh with nick Giannis and mike michael mm-hmm. and uh and chris sanders architecture mark Havada. i we really got to build that place from the ground up right uh th- that was one of the first bars that uh every down to the quarter inch I designed that Have bar. you been since it opened? Yeah. How yeah. Feel it, about it? it worked out. You know, it's, uh, I built a low bar. Uh, I've always wanted to do that. Yeah. I feel uh, with a low bar, it opens the bartender up a little more. Mm-hmm. It's a little, service is sometimes easier. The way, uh, unfortunately, I had to drop out of the project before it right, came right. to completion. So some of the low boys are in a little too far out. Gotcha. Uh, but yeah, it, it solves a lot of problems with ADA uh, and puts what about you ADHD problems. I'd still have those. <laughs> you know that. I do uh, know that. Yeah. But it, so what, how does it? So the, the thing that, that was really interesting to me, and I haven't even thought about it until mm-hmm. kind of after now that now knowing that Roosevelt Room is doing well, you guys have a great cocktail program, great staff, and everything. Did, what is it? Does it ever hit you? Does it, does it ever feel like you're number one on the charts? And then all of a sudden you can't write a follow-up hit. Like, does that even occur to you? I don't think I've been number one on the charts yet. Well, you know what I mean. The the, the city acknowledges you. You are exalted. You've given an award. And then this time goes by. I can't imagine that the expectations you maybe placed on yourself were probably pretty large. Yeah, and I think we're well on our way to achieving them. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean... My goal was never to win bartending competitions and awards. I mean, it was to lose them. No. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I, my goal is to create a restaurant group right. that can fund real estate development that can help build stronger communities. Sure. Uh, so I think purchasing my first bar Does, do, with do, Justin and with no large investment and being majority owners of our yeah. first business, that is more rewarding than any bartending competition. Do you think that that anybody realizes how much about the people you are you know this is something i i am just picking up on now that i never realized how much for probably not because i don't talk (laughs) you don't talk but you do talk right i talk about other people i talk oh good good (laughs) it's better to be a good listener i no one wants to hear my story why is that why do you think because this the story isn't done yet the story's never done, and I can't talk to you if you're dead when you, the story is, in fact, done. You can read about it when I'm... Who? But who's capturing that? This, this is a great, great fucking point. So <laughs> if we don't talk about this now, and for God, God forbid something happened to either one of us, then your story goes into reference material, and no one ever really knows it except the few people that are close to you. But there are lots of people that are close to you on some proximate level, yeah. and then they don't even know this fucking story, you know? Yeah. And so... I understand that it may be excruciating at times <laughs> to have to talk about some of the details of this journey for yourself. Yeah. But you know what, man? I think there's a lot of value to it. Never underplay that. There really is. And they give boom, Dennis, like no one cares. People <laughs> fucking care, Dennis. They do. I know they do. They want to hear it, man. All right. 
They do. Well, I just told it. That's no. it. That's all I got. <laughs> You're not done yet. You're uh, not done yet. Okay, what are we at? Like 45 minutes? Yeah, we're at uh, four, four hours now, four and a half hours. No, so, but I want to tighten this up and I want to finalize yeah. this and cement it with what is, I feel, an amazing achievement where everything has kind of come together and coalesced mm-hmm. into this wonderful concept. So you've got two spots that you guys operate. Yep. One is the event space at the Madison on the left-hand side and then the cocktail concept, which has great hours. You guys have been incredibly busy, at least the times I've been in there. A really extensive menu with lots of different genres is a really cool way to chronologically uh, yeah. record the drinks and stuff at the Roosevelt Room. Yeah. So how has it been going since the media, more or less, has been very supportive? You talked about Eater kind of mentioning it. I mm-hmm. did just mention it as one of the most important cocktail bars, something like that in austin for 2015 like what, whatever even if it's just like you know fucking fodder for readers or clickbait it's still something that that it really there's some substance to that mm-hmm. it's a very important concept i think especially that's that uh yeah, i mean that's i think one of the biggest things that owners don't see the value in is yeah. just those small articles I mean, it's been an absolute blessing and you can see the results yeah uh the love from the press has been um it's just why? Why you guys? Why? Why would I, now? I I, I don't I know, know why. For me, right? <laughs> why? It feels like you guys are media darlings, but not in an undeserved way. Yeah. But why do you think that is? I don't know. I think it's uh, it's nice to see two bartenders mm-hmm. put everything they have into a crazy ass idea, sure. taking over seventy five hundred square feet of real estate in downtown Austin. Yeah with a real estate market that is absurd, sure. no one on the investment side would ever think that we would have been successful because we'd never operated. We've managed, but we've never operated. Right. And to see us take it and run with it and actually be successful, I think people are, I think a lot of people expected us to be around for like four or five months mm-hmm. and never really get our footing and then go back to working at bars around town. Right, right. Uh, I think right the now... opposite seeming starting to happen it feels like yeah i mean it's been the the growth is amazing every week we're open we're up a certain percentage uh and yeah i mean it's it's just it's been a crazy road i i feel i feel like i'm in a dream honestly maybe uh uh, because we never intended to open the roosevelt room as a cocktail bar yeah no Uh, that's that's the funny part of it is that yeah it was still an event space more or less yeah i mean we never even meant to take over the Roosevelt Room side. We were going to buy the guy out from the Madison right. and turn the Madison into a cocktail bar. And then that was a pain of a transaction, which mm-hmm. stretched almost a year. Yeah. In that year, we met with the landlord, and he's like, well, you know, if things don't work out with Adam and the Madison, uh, the spot next door is open. Sure. Or it's available. They were just clearing up some... Uh, legal disputes with the city of Austin mm-hmm. for some unpermitted work. Right. And so we went over there, Justin and myself, and we looked at the space and we we're like, wow, this is actually leaps and bounds nicer than the Madison. Yeah. Uh, and then I believe we, someone was in the Madison at that moment when we were touring the spot that was called Soma, that is mm-hmm. now the Roosevelt Room. Someone was in the Madison and they turned the sound system on and we realized how thin the wall was in between oh, the two right, spaces. Right. And we're like, okay, this is never gonna work with a nightclub next to us. Yeah. Uh, the bass is just obnoxious. You can't you can't serve a good cocktail. You can't even keep bottles on the back bar without right, them. Right. So that it, it became an all or nothing thing. And this was very quick. 
this was let's call it December twentieth to twenty. It was right before Christmas mm-hmm. when we decided, you know, it's all or nothing. Four weeks later, we signed the lease on the whole building. Right. And then we're like, okay, our first, <laughs> our intention was to open a small cocktail bar. Yeah. And we went from like small cocktail bar mm-hmm. to two very large event spaces. Uh, so we ran them through South By's event spaces. Afterwards, the Roosevelt Room really just became our, our living room for a little while. We, <laughs> we would set up over there on the banquettes and do our computer work. And then we were looking around and we were like, you know, we can familiarize people with this block and get yeah. them accustomed to coming here for a good cocktail. Absolutely. Because the foot traffic on Fifth Street is non- right. it's non-existent. Yeah. Especially really? on my block. No, there's n- it's us and rebels. Right, right. Rebels really brings a certain demographic from one direction, and they come to rebels, and they're not looking for a cocktail right. afterwards. Uh, no one branches off Sixth Street. Uh, Fix and Wu Chow weren't there when we got there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were just there's n- there's no foot traffic. So I mean, hey, if we can, it's not costing us anything for me and Justin to hop behind the bar and make a couple Manhattans. So we kind of dipped our toe in the water, and uh, you know we opened Thursday, Friday, Saturday at first from eight to two. Mm-hmm. Those first weekends, we weren't getting the press back then. Yeah, I think we had a couple articles with the Austin Business Journal, and uh, Alex Shoemaker was with us. Bless his heart, he's been with us almost since the beginning. Yeah, uh, actually since the beginning, and uh, we would just work these shifts that were just like hilarious. We'd make like seven drinks, and five of them were for us. Oh shit. Uh, <laughs> But it, it, it built up. It, it, people started, you know, one person came in one, one day and told a friend, and we've got to watch it go from, you know, 10 people mm. to, I feel like, I don't even, Yeah, lots. Lots of people. I, too many people. <laughs> too, too many people to the point where now we're having to open the upstairs for regular service. Yeah. So that's what I'm working on right now. It's not a bad problem to have. It's a, good, it's a blessing and a curse again. We're getting so busy that... I had a discussion with Josh Loving about this, kind of what we are looking to do with our spaces. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, we can cram as many people as we possibly can to our spaces and make a good amount of money, but mm-hmm. are we giving the experience that, you that, want, that we yeah. want to give? Uh, and right now we're getting to the point where without opening the upstairs, it's hard to maintain the experience that we want to give mm-hmm. being downtown. Gotcha. Uh, so, yeah. So how do you feel working with, Justin, because I know you guys worked together at Drinkwell. Yeah, I brought Justin on Drinkwell. Uh, you know, I I don't know if Justin told you the story of how we ended up working together. No, I don't. Uh, I don't think he did. Justin was coming down here. Uh, yeah, from to, Boulder. You talked to about Boulder. That yeah, move. moving down here with James Lee to open. Mm-hmm. They were, James Lee was a partner in Bitter Bar. Right, right. There, they were going to open uh, Lee and Bitters, is mm-hmm. what it was called. I still have a T-shirt. Uh, and they would come in to drink while it was their favorite spot. Yeah. And they essentially wanted... Um, you know, I, I'm going to take some credit for bringing James in there that first time. Thank you. Good or good or not. But, which maybe that maybe that was good if you met Justin. It's that good. Now, you're responsible for the Roosevelt. No, I'm not. See, I see what you did there. <laughs> That's uh, all I want is royalties, Dennis. That's it. You can have them. <laughs> as soon as we start paying ourselves, we'll okay. pay you a little fair bit. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, uh, I like it. So, yeah, they were coming in a drink while that was the the vibe, the feeling, the experience that they really enjoyed and they wanted to they wanted to create that or replicate that or I don't know what they wanted to do. Sure. I never really asked. Anyways, that relationship didn't work out. Justin sticked around. I think James went back to mm-hmm. Boulder and bought the bitter bar outright. Just randomly I was working on a couple app ideas with some developers yeah. and 
I was really like into startups one summer. I was real hungry. I just wanted to do something. I knew I, I was having fun. I drank well, but I wanted to create something. And I sat down with Justin at a lunch, and I'm like, we're too young, semi-intelligent guys living in a blossoming city mm-hmm. with capital at every corner. At everywhere you look, there's available capital here. Why are we working for other people? We should be working for ourselves. We should be working for ourselves. Yeah. I think I said it in different words and Seems a like little, good a little more colorful. Though, <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck are we doing, man? Uh, but that was the message. But and you guys are really different, and I feel like that's a great balance. Justin is the. Uh, it's an absolute blessing. I don't know if I could run a successful business without Justin, and I don't know if he could do it without me. We're definitely the yin and the yang. Yeah. Uh, it and our staff can tell you that. Uh, yeah. They call me dad, and they call him mom. <laughs> it, when are you gonna, I'm gonna get him a wig. I would love to he like, need a, like uh, a nice brunette wig. Uh, he yeah. probably like that. No, uh, but yeah. Ever since that day, uh, he looked at me, and you know, he he'll tell you if you ever talk to him. Yeah. After the wig comment, I don't know if he'll talk to you again. Uh, he'll tell you that really rung a bell with him, and I guess he spoke with his father. Yeah. He's kind of a business guru. He's sure. a, really a, a pillar of strength when we have to make big decisions. Mm-hmm. And we decided to create a product company. Uh, yeah. We had some great ideas for some products, which are still in limbo. Started the patent pro- process, which is a nightmare. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, it's really difficult. And then we were in the middle of that. The, the company is called Avant Garde. It's still alive. Mm. We're doing the taxes for it right now and showing the See? There epic, you go. epic loss. Uh, you get to take it off your revenue. Exactly. Uh, randomly, while you know coming up with stuff for Avant Garde, the opportunity arose to maybe take over the space. And yeah. We put that on the back burner, and we spent a good year focusing on Yeah, we on talked it. about it. Like, you know, when you were kind of going through that situation and, and the, uh, the opportunities that arose about mm. the spots you could take and all that, and yeah. some that I won't mention that, that came up that would, would have been cool spots. So it's really nice to see you guys took this massive square footage downtown. Things mm. are going really, really well with the Roosevelt Room. Do you think that you guys can meet a two-year execution date for de rigueur from today not yeah shit for, for today 2018 yes yeah uh yeah i mean and you want to do a restaurant not to, i'm not i don't want to put words mm-hmm. into your mouth but from what i understand you want a larger restaurant concept yeah still a great cocktail program another bar upstairs yeah if you've been in the roosevelt room or if you just look online and look mm-hmm. at the pictures uh you can see the roosevelt room is one half of a large hangar style right. building right so the first floor is 59 Hundred square feet. Um, so close. Called six. Yeah. Uh, that will be the dining room. Yeah. Uh, there will be a long sixty foot long bar on the right wall, the opposite wall uh, that the bar is on now. Dining focused downstairs. Definitely a really great cocktail program. Capability to create everything that they do upstairs, mm-hmm. but the menu down there will be more limited. Uh, what we show people. A little more spirit focused, neat spirit focus. Yeah. Obviously, a lot more room for bottles on a sixty foot bar than a twenty foot bar upstairs. But dining focused, complementing the flavors in the food. Right. The mezzanine will be really like our playground. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where we will nerd out. Uh, I'm actually buying a centrifuge <laughs> tomorrow <laughs> to start playing with it. Yeah, I've played with one before. It's a lot of fun. How many? Do you, do you ever get tired having to like talk about this stuff? Like, because how many people ask you about what the Dave Gore concepts? Yeah, I'm kind of sick of talking about it. I bet. I, I bet. You know, I feel like we really shouldn't talk about it. We should just shut the hell up and just do it. And right? just do. It. Yeah, but 
people won't stop asking. Yeah. I just have to come to grips with that. And right now, we have a... So here's where we're at with the Roosevelt Room and, and the Madison yeah. and Dayrigger. We have a very successful business running right now. Sure. And we're getting people accustomed to coming to that part of town. Yeah. We have a luxury that a lot of other new restaurateurs don't oh, have. Yeah. We're cash positive and we have no investment mm-hmm. and there's no rush. We're not waiting on a space. We're not waiting on investment. We don't have a target open date. Mm-hmm. It's just really whatever feels right to execute the absolute best concept right. that we possibly can. And that's a beautiful thing. And that's why we're very comfortable in where we are. Yeah. Uh, in a perfect world, I would like Day Rigger to be open yesterday. Sure. Uh, but I'm not going to rush it. I'm going to make sure. I, I, it's going to be a very, very large build-out. Mm-hmm. Gonna, we're going to align ourselves with the very best possible partners. And I'm, I'm sure I'm sure it's going to be fucking yeah. killer, man. Yeah. You're going to do it. like. The thing that I kind of, and I'm going to tell you, like, I, I worry about with you, and it's not the business part of it. It's just like, how's your relationship doing with you working so much? Because I remember, luckily, I was single that that first mm-hmm. year I was trying to bring this distillery up to, yeah. to fun- making it run, you know? And that was good because then I could just, I would be the victim of it. Mm-hmm. My health, my time, you know? But it, how's it been? With with Stacy, you guys. I think you know the answer to that. Yeah. Stacy is a yeah, a blessing. Yeah. She's a she's been uh yeah my my rock during yeah. this whole thing. Uh, I've put a lot more on a lot more weight on her than I ever thought anyone would hold up for me. Sure. Uh, we're coming out of it. You know, the first year. Yeah, done. yeah, the, no. the first year's done right now, and I'm finally able to like you know apologies in the midst of being home for 35 minutes right, really right. don't mean anything. But in the past couple of weeks, we've been able to spend meaningful time I think with one another. It'll continue to grow that way yeah. too. So you'll be able to step away from it a little bit. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, it was the hardest year for our relationship, and right. you know that was <coughs> our fourth year. We're yeah, be together five years here in a couple, few weeks. I'm sure it's gonna. I mean, you guys are really, really. <coughs> yeah, but always yeah. pulling through and all that. You know, it's the hardest thing you could do for a relationship. I don't. I can't I imagine having too. well. Think having a, do you think having a kid would be more stressful or th- yeah. having a business? Yeah, it's the same difference, I think. It's like either you have a, you can't. That's why if you do both, you're doomed. So you either have a kid, which becomes all of your aspirations bundled up into this physically mm-hmm. manifested thing, and then that's the extension where you just hand off all of your ambitions to somebody else, and then you kind of lose them for yourself. Sorry to be curt, everybody that has kids, no offense Oof. or no judgment. Burned like 30 out of the 47 <laughs> people that you've interviewed. <laughs> No, but Jesus. that's like that's kind of how I feel. Or, or you take and you pull all of that ambition, those aspirations, and all the talent you've developed, mm. business acumen, all of it, and you pull it into an idea and a concept for you. It formed into the Roosevelt Room in this case. Now, who's to say it won't expand even more? But that's your kid. Yeah, it is. You watch it the same way. You watch it grow. You watch it fail. Yeah. You spend money on it. You know, you spend money that you don't want to spend on it for oh, stupid yeah. shit to repair stuff. It's just like going to get vaccines or whatever, <sighs> you know. I know. It's just money out the window. You know, but it's, it's so is. much money out the window. I know. But it all it all sums up to something that is meaningful and that yeah. is important and says something. And you guys have done. I, I love the Roosevelt Room. I really think it's one of the best spots I've been to, man. And it speaks it speaks to you and it speaks to Justin, like your personalities, your sensibilities as people that craft cocktails. It's very creative and it's very accessible and you've got all types of people in there and it never once feels douchey. 
Yeah, it's uh, and you know, it, it's not all just and I. I mean, we're there setting. You know, we're we're there trying to throw that softball pitch for our staff. Mm-hmm. They're the they're the rock stars that are crushing it. I mean, Roosevelt Room wouldn't be where it is without Alex or Nikki or Ashley or Alexis, right. Bryce, Isaac. Yeah, I mean, all of them. Yeah, Isaac Costa is probably. No one knows who he is. I don't know. Who he is, yeah. He's probably one of the most valuable employees in the company. Really? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's an embodiment of Justin and I, but also all those other people. You yeah. Know? Well, man, I, I, you know, I thank you for finally sitting down. Is that it? Doing. I mean, we've been chatting. That was pretty easy. It's, I thought you were, uh, were you were you I thought there was gonna be, time. I thought there was gonna be a, like a difficult part where you're gonna be <laughs> Why? like, like, what am I gonna ask you? I don't know. What haven't I not asked you already that that could be perceived as difficult? I don't know. Find something. I don't make it find difficult. Anything. This was too easy. Now <laughs> it's supposed to be. It's not. I'm not trying to throw these fucking knuckleballs and pitches to throw everybody off, man. It's a, like I told you. You, you know, and and the reason I I feel okay speaking so frank to you is because I feel like we we are friends and we do have rapport and we. Glad you know each way. other for for a while, <laughs> whether you feel that way or not, <laughs> but. I know that a lot of people, and I people tell me this all the time, they don't want to talk about themselves. Yeah. And that's fine. But talk to me, at least. You know? It's not... It may be about yourself, but I mean, I'm genuinely curious about these things, about people, and about you. And I think other people are as well. So just fucking... Anybody that comes on here, just bear with me. We're just going to sit here and chat. I don't know why somebody, everybody's so afraid. And we're all exposed at some point. We're all vulnerable at some point, but what's the point of of hiding all this stuff or like kind of keeping these parts of ourselves invisible to the public? What's the point of that? I don't know. I don't either, man. I really don't. I know you're not like that to your customers. You were Dennis through and through. Maybe a hyped up, very very articulate actor version of Dennis, but you're fucking Dennis across the bar. You are highly caffeinated, Dennis. There you go. Whatever it takes, but it's you. Yeah. It is. And you're not disingenuous. You are you. So, thank you again. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on. And I can't wait. I, I, I want to definitely do these interviews. I'm going to do Justin and you in whatever order. You guys will get a week on the show and, and highlight what wonderful work you guys are doing at the Roosevelt. Right? Are you going to make him wear the wig? <laughs> Justin, watch out. You may have to wear the wig. Also, if Justin wears the wig, is he then a hipster? I don't know that that is something we can solve here i think it's we'll gonna just have, have to, to go to trial the city by fi- council city council yeah probably that high level as long as i don't have to go to the permit office you won't okay we I don't have to pull you. a permit no, for the wig no more permits <laughs> okay good. you don't need a permit to to, to wear chat. a wig <laughs> yeah, or to wear a wig so thanks awesome. so much for chatting with me dennis best of luck with everything man well there we go everybody what do you think Dennis Scobus, we understand him from across the bar. We get that dynamic personality, but there's a lot to him. He's a solemn German, hardworking family man, has a lot of dogs, a dedicated partner. But beyond that, let's think of it like this. He and Justin have managed to form and open an amazing cocktail experience, not just a bar in Austin, but you've got an amazing back bar you've got an amazing menu concept these guys are really really doing excellent work at the roosevelt room in austin texas and my personal suggestion is if you get the chance to try a jungle bird with that massively flimsy extended straw that they so love to put inside that drink
So thanks, everybody, for listening to Show to V with Mike G. It's been a pleasure bringing these interviews to you, and I'll continue keeping at it. But no matter what Jungle Bird you're drinking, no matter how many passports get rejected at customs, please keep dancing.